If you have your copy of God's Word with you, if you have your Bible with you today, please open it and turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians. Billy Graham writes, I once heard of a man who went to see a psychiatrist. He told the doctor that he was lonely, despondent, and miserable. He begged the doctor to help him. The psychiatrist suggested that he needed to laugh, so he instructed the patient to attend the circus and watch the clown, who was famous for being able to make anyone laugh. His patient looked him in the eyes and said, But doctor, you don't understand. You see, I am that clown. We may chuckle at a humorous account like that. And I don't know about you, but I can identify with that clown. Whether we want to admit it or not, human nature has put us all on a search for happiness. And the world around us is full of people like the clown. They become professionals at looking happy on the outside. But on the inside, there's really no joy at all. Indeed, many in this world are pursuing happiness with every waking moment, and some with every line of credit, only coming up empty, never finding true joy. And we need to face this reality. The lack of true joy isn't only a problem for those outside the church. Even in the church, the joy-filled life can escape us. And we can find ourselves pursuing the joy-filled life and coming up empty-handed. So today we open the book of Philippians to begin studying through this book verse by verse together. And we begin with the subject of joy. It's a theme that we're going to see often repeated in this book of Philippians. It's a short letter, four chapters, but again and again, we're going to see the theme of joy. It's the theme that's the common thread through these four chapters. Because God really does care about whether or not we know joy. God really does desire that his people know true joy. And that first chapter of Philippians is a great place to turn to see what true joy looks like in the lives of followers of Christ. It's a good place to see what real joy looks like even in the lives of believers who who aren't without troubles. And that's an important thought. That's an important reminder here. And we're going to see it again and again here, especially in chapter 1, that there isn't an absence of problems here. There's a multitude of problems demonstrated in chapter 1, but through chapter 1 is thread the theme of joy. And this is a good place to look for real joy and what it looks like in the life of a person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because we tend to think that joy is only found in the absence of difficulty. If I can just remove all my problems, if I can just remove all the difficulties, if I could just have more of this and less of that, then I would know true joy. But the Bible shows us that for those who trust in Christ, true joy is possible even in the face of difficulty, even in the midst of hardship and trials. 
And as we prepare to read the first few verses of chapter 1 together, just think for a moment about the the person who, who penned these words. Just think for a moment of the writer of the book of Philippians. Of course, this is a book that is inspired by God like the rest of the Bible is. This is a a pen, a book that was penned by an individual whom God moved to pen these words for our sake as well as for the sake of those to whom he was writing in in that day he wrote. But consider the the writer of, of the book of Philippians. Most conservative Bible scholars agree that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter while he was imprisoned in Rome. Get that. Think about it. He was imprisoned when he wrote this. And considering the circumstances under which Paul likely wrote this letter makes the theme of joy found here even more remarkable. His faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's clear. And if Paul could know and write about true joy while being persecuted and imprisoned for his faith in Christ, then there is certainly hope for us. There is certainly hope for us that we can also know true joy and know it personally. So here we are preparing to look at this letter, Philippians, written to the church at Philippi. On Paul's second missionary journey, he had visited the city of Philippi. In Acts chapter 16 are recorded the conversions of Lydia and her family and the jailer and his family who were residents of Philippi. And so as Paul writes this letter to the local church at Philippi and the believers there, he's writing to people with whom he has a personal connection. He's writing to to people who he cares deeply about, whom he loves, and he's concerned for them. And he writes to encourage the believers there to be faithful to God, come what may, and know this, that you can be joyful even in the midst of the challenges that you face Paul wants these believers at Philippi to have this hope that there is joy even when there are trials. Now you may not think of the greeting of a letter as containing much of significance, but what Paul says in this greeting is significant. I think it's the foundation for true joy. If we are going to know true joy, we need to see the foundation. We need to see where to start. If you're going to build a house, you need a solid foundation. If you're going to build a building, you need a solid foundation. You need to start well. And I think if we're going to know true joy, as we put our faith in Christ, we need to see the foundation. I think we can see it here. I think it's the foundation for true joy in these first couple of verses in Philippians chapter 1. But I want you to follow along with me as I read the first 18 verses. I want to just read for the sake of context, and I want you to hear and see the thread of joy that, that is, is thread through this first chapter and into the rest of this letter. And then we're going to come back and look closely at verses 1 and 2. Follow along as I read from the English Standard Version, verses 1 through verse 18. Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he 
who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And verse 12 says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak that word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So what is the foundation for true joy? What is the foundation for joy? That joy that we hear from Paul in these early verses from this letter of Philippians. We can see it. I think we can see the foundation in Paul's greeting in verses 1 and 2. And I want you to note, I want you to begin. This first part of the foundation for true joy is seen. I want you to begin with this word, servants. Consider the word servants. Paul begins by identifying himself and Timothy as servants of Christ. Servants of Jesus Christ. In all of Paul's other letters, except for First and Second Thessalonians and Philemon, in all of those other letters, Paul refers to himself as an apostle. But here he simply identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, we tend to think of the role of a servant as lowly. We use the the servant terminology carefully in our culture. We tend to think of a person who is a servant as someone who holds a lowly and humble position. While we tend to think of a person who is named as an apostle in God's word as being more exalted, that's a more exalted position. But I want you to see that by simply identifying himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, Paul shows humility. Now, where might Paul have learned that? Where might Paul have learned that humility was an important part of the Christian life? I want you to take your finger, and maybe it's just sliding across the page to chapter 2. And I want you to look at chapter 2 for a moment. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2 for a moment. We see in verses 5 through 8 in in Philippians chapter 2 that Paul is following the example of Jesus. Paul writes in Philippians 2 verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And by identifying himself and Timothy as servants of Christ, Paul is following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to not be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul is demonstrating for the Philippian believers an attitude of humility before God. And this is the beginning of the foundation for true joy. You want to know contentment and joy this side of heaven? You must learn to humble yourself before God. Humility before God is an attitude that serves as a part of this important foundation for true joy. And if you're going to know true joy, you first need to know Christ. You need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you need God's saving grace and his forgiveness of sins if you're really going to know true joy. And your humility begins with God by humbling yourself before him, admitting that you're a sinner in need of saving, confessing your sins, and believing in Jesus Christ. That's where the humility begins. That means that to be saved by God's grace, you must humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of sins, admitting that you need a Savior. I grieve for people who refuse to admit they need a Savior. I I grieve for people who refuse to admit they have sins that need to be forgiven. That's every person on earth. We all have sinned against God. We have all fallen short. And yet God in his mercy and grace has given his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for sinners so that all who put their faith in him, who humble themselves to the point of saying, I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven and I can't earn my salvation, who humble themselves to the point to trust in Jesus. Each and every one, God saves. God forgives And God cleanses and makes new because of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Humility is a necessary part of the foundation for true joy because without it, you cannot have peace with God. See, you are not at peace peace with God if you are not trusting in his son. You are at odds with God and God's word says that you are his enemy, that you are striking out against him. Oh, how important that we understand this simple and yet powerful and absolutely necessary truth. If we want to know true joy, we need to know Christ. We need to humble ourselves before him and trust in him. Admitting our need of a savior, confessing our sin, repenting of our sin, being willing to turn from that sin as God changes us by the power of his word and through the power of his spirit that moves in and takes up residence when you are saved because you put your faith in Christ. Humility is a necessary part of the foundation for true joy. Without it, you will not have peace. You will not be at peace with God. You will not have the peace that God gives his children who seek to obey him. We hear this in John 14 and verse 1. 
Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Many would say, I believe there's a God. I believe in God. But I don't know about Jesus Christ. I don't know if I really need that. And God's word says, you can see all around you that there's a God. Just look out the window. Just look at your hand. There's a God. And he represents himself in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, who is God in human flesh, who came to be the sacrifice for sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You will be forgiven your sins. And then, in verse 27 of John chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, and to all who believe in him, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Not as the Super Bowl commercials give give to you, which you're probably gonna some of you gonna watch this afternoon, right? The advertisers want you to believe you can have this and this and this, and that will change your whole life, and everything will be hunky dory. Everything will be happy and joyful all the time. But Jesus warns, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, because the world can't give you anything that will last. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How can we claim that promise? Through faith in Jesus Christ, by believing in Jesus Christ as God in human flesh, that he was the sacrifice for sinners. And that peace which Jesus gives is only possible for those who humble themselves before God and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to note, too, that humility is also necessary for peace in all of our relationships, in our marriages, with our children, with our co-workers, with our neighbors. Believers in Jesus Christ do well to remember that humility should characterize us as God's people. Humility is absolutely necessary for peace in all of our relationships. Just think about how often you found yourself in a conflict with someone that robs you of your joy and, and which conflict have you ever been in that didn't rob you of your joy? And you stood back for a moment and realized, if I had just exercised a little bit of humility in this, we would not have gotten here. What happens when we do this? Far far too often, when we honestly appraise our situation, we have to admit that I was not acting in humility I was not living in a Christ-honoring way. I was not being obedient to God's word. And a little bit of humility would have spared me so much grief if I had just practiced it here. What happens when we think too highly of ourselves? And that's what happens when we fail to practice humility. What happens is we're easily offended. We begin to get petty. We think our opinions are the only ones that matter. There was a time when 
I worked in a high-rise building, and I remember almost every time it seemed like I'd get on the elevator, I would kind of forget that there were other people in the building, and I would think that the elevator was for me. And so as soon as the doors open, I would go to walk on. But if you're in a tall building, guess who's coming off? People are there coming off the elevator. And to me, it was just a little illustration, a little reminder to me, wait a minute, this world is not about you. That's not your personal elevator. There are probably people in there who are going to come out. And you ought to stand back and let them get out so that you can get in. Now my favorite thing to do on an elevator is to stand right in front of the door while I'm on the inside. So when it opens, I'm like right into the face of the person who's trying to get on. I just It's a fun thing to do. You ought to try it. It's a reminder, though. We, we live in a world where we think this is my world. This world revolves around me. Uh, my opinion is the only one that counts. And God calls us back to his word as those who who proclaim the name of Christ, as those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. He calls us to humility and he gives us the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who was God in human flesh who didn't come to say, serve me. He came to say, how can I serve you? Oh, I see your sin. I'll go to the cross for that. When you have the kind of humility exemplified by Jesus, when you have the kind of humility that should characterize every believer, and I'm not suggesting that we should be perfect in this, but we should be striving for, for perfection in Christ, that we, that we become more like Christ, and we demonstrate humility more often than not. When we have that humility that should characterize every believer, you'll do as Paul instructs in Romans 12.10, and you will love one another with brotherly affection, and you will outdo one another in showing honor. That's practicing Christ-like humility. If there's to be a contest, there ought to be a contest to outdo one another in showing honor with humility. In the flesh, that might seem upside down. According to the world that we live in, that might seem upside down to think of putting others first. But if you will practice yielding in humility to God, and if you will seek to meet the needs of others, you will find that this leads to peace and true joy. God blesses those and gives the peace that passes all understanding to those who honor him with their obedience in this way. Andrew Murray writes, The humble man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others' praise while he is forgotten because he has received the Spirit of Jesus who pleased not himself and who sought not his own honor. Therefore, in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he has put on the heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and humility. I'll warn you, you can't manufacture humility. You cannot manufacture, you cannot make it up. That is not what I'm suggesting, it's not what God's word suggests. But begin by humbling yourself before God and committing to reading God's word and praying for God's will to be done in your life and take steps of obedience as you read God's word. Humble yourself before God and God will change your heart toward those people around you so that you will begin to show the humility of Christ and you won't even realize it. 
humble yourself before God. That's a foundation. It's part of the foundation for true joy. I want you to note a second part of this foundation for true, true joy. It's, it's found in the word saints. We've kind of touched on this already, really. After identifying himself and Timothy as servants, Paul moves on to address all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And kind of like the, the word apostles, the title apostles, we, we think apostle, ooh, that's, um, that's important. That's, that's something. We tend to think of saints like that. And we'll say something like, oh, she's such a saint. And we're talking about their upstanding conduct. Nobody ever says that about me, but, but that's okay. Um, but I'm a saint. Whether you say that about me or not, you know why? Because I have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, God's word says that you're a saint. I don't need the Pope to call me a saint. That's not how it works, according to God's word. You see, the people Paul is addressing here are believers in Christ, followers of Christ. So when Paul addresses all the saints in Philippi, he's speaking to every believer in the church at Philippi. But note also that the term saint applies to every believer throughout time. All persons who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God calls saints. God's word calls saints. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. Now, you may not act like a saint. I don't always act like a saint. But through faith in Christ, God calls you his own. He calls you his child and he gives you a new title. He calls you a saint. God's word calls you a saint. And Paul writes to the saints at Philippi. And and really, this is God's inspired word. This is to the saints throughout time who read this letter and take instruction from this word, this word from God. And this means that through faith in Christ and obedience to God's word, the Bible, you will be seeking to grow in Christ's likeness because you are God's child. And because you are God's child, you can be called a saint. Another key to understanding the word saints is to notice the phrase that immediately follows. The the essential phrase is in Christ Jesus. And that is the only way anyone becomes a saint. You've got to be in Christ Jesus. In other words, you've got to put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus. So it's not what you do that makes you a saint. It's not what you've done that makes you a saint. But it's what Christ has done for you. And through faith in Christ, you become a saint. And you're numbered among the saints. So being a saint isn't about any special kind of works that you've done, but it's about what Christ has accomplished for you. It's what he's finished on the cross. Praise God. So what Paul has said here, what he's writing, I'll encourage you, this is for every believer in Christ, then and now. This is not just for a limited few in the church. I make that point because I want you to understand this. That his instruction here is for all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He even goes on to include the overseers and deacons. He doesn't call them saints, but they're believers and they're saints. The overseers, they were people also called elders. Also, we call them pastors. They're responsible for shepherding or pastoring the church, the people. And the deacons, they were leaders in the church that had a special service responsibility in the church, many responsibilities that they took up to serve the church. So Paul is also addressing the leadership of the church at Philippi. Those those people were also saints. And the point here is this, and, and 
we'll see this as we continue our studies here in Philippians, that true joy is possible for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not for a select few. True joy is possible for all who have placed their faith in Christ. And that leads us to the third part of the foundation for true joy, and that is the source. The source of true joy. And Paul will show us the source of true joy. If you want true joy, you have to know the source. And so, after addressing all the saints and the overseers and deacons, Paul moves on in verse 2. Look at verse 2 again. With this greeting, as he extends the greeting, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. From the source. Do you see it? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's get this clear in our thinking. God is the sole source of grace and peace. God is the sole source of joy and contentment. We need to understand that. We need to get that clear in our thinking. If we if we let this truth escape us, and if we don't cling to this truth, we will find ourselves, and you will find yourself pursuing everything that this world offers, coming up empty. God is the sole source of grace and peace. And as that sole source of grace and peace, He's a generous gift giver. Grace is the unmerited favor of God that he gives through his gift of salvation. None of us deserves grace. It wouldn't be called grace if we deserved it. We are all sinners who deserve death and eternal punishment, separated from God for all of eternity. But because of God's grace, salvation has been made possible, has been made available to us through faith in Christ. I love Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. You likely have heard this so many times, but listen once again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God has offered to we sinners what we do not deserve. He offers salvation through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. We're going to be celebrating this in just a moment. You can see the Lord's table is set before me, and we're going to be celebrating this with communion in just a few moments. There is is no way in which we deserve God's grace. And we are called back to the Lord's Supper. And we do this at the beginning of every month to bring ourselves back, to remind ourselves of this truth. We don't deserve God's grace. But he gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became the sacrifice for sinners and those who trust in him receive the bountiful outpouring of God's grace, forgiveness of sins, and the gift of eternal life. And we're reminded here, as we remember there's no way in which we deserve God's grace, that we're not saved by our works or by any effort of our own, but only by God's grace through the price that Jesus paid for sinners on the cross. 
We're reminded here when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God imparts this grace, giving eternal life, and it is final. He doesn't take it back. God is gracious to forgive your sins once and for all. And we're reminded here that along with the grace that God bestows on those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He gives peace. He gives peace. And most importantly, when you're saved by God's grace, you have peace with God. We overlook that so often. We don't think about the fact that that through faith in Christ, we have peace with God. If we've not placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you're a person who is not trusting in Jesus Christ, you are at odds with God. Again, his word calls you an enemy. Not that he is your enemy, but that you are his enemy, that you are striking out against God and against his plan and against his mercy and grace, which he commands you to believe in. And if you will not believe in his son, you cannot have his peace. You cannot have his joy. This is a lasting peace that God gives. Grace and peace is an eternal thing, and we can praise God for that. But I want you to note that peace is only maintained by seeking to obey God. Because you can be a believer and you might say, I am in the depths of turmoil right now. I do not know what's going on in my life. And I don't feel like I'm at peace. And that's possible. But it's also possible to be going through turmoil and know God's peace. Peace is only maintained by seeking to obey God. I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm talking about daily steps of obedience. Erwin Lutzer, pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, says it well. Emotional peace and calm come after doing God's will and not before. Oh, we need that reminder. We so often want God, God, give me your peace and I will obey you. Give me your peace and I'll do the right thing. And God says, do the right thing. Honor me with your obedience and my peace will follow. My joy will come. Even the follower of Christ that experiences difficulty and heartache can experience peace and true joy. The peace and true joy that follows as you keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Sometimes, of course, that peace that God gives is hard to explain. I have a hard time explaining it sometimes. I have experienced it at times. I've I've been in the midst of a difficulty or turmoil, and yet the joy wells up from within. I believe God. How encouraging that, that through this hardship, my faith is fixed on him. I'm dwelling on, I'm living by his promises, and I praise God for that joy. But it is really hard to explain how that happens. Even Paul in Philippians 4, 7 describes the peace of God as surpassing all understanding. And yet, even though the peace of God can be beyond what our human minds can understand, he he goes on to say, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Great blessings we enjoy as we receive God's grace and peace. And it is only through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ 
It is only through him that we can experience grace and peace and ultimately true joy. So if you want what everyone in this world is really looking for, if you want true joy, I will remind you, it begins, it's found beginning with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found only through faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you've been looking for true joy in all the wrong places. Maybe this morning you realize, I've been looking for joy in all the wrong places. I've been looking for happiness and peace and contentment and satisfaction in all the wrong places. And if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation from sins, then I invite you to talk to God in prayer. Even in the quiet of your heart in this moment, talk to God in prayer. Admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And trust in Jesus Christ. And He will move into your life. He will save you. I'm not suggesting that you need to get everything in your life right. That you need to get everything in your life aligned before faith in Christ. If God is calling you to himself right now, he is not telling you to change something first. He's saying, change this. Change your attitude. Trust in me. Humble yourself before me. And God will move in and take up residence. And through the power of his word and the work of his Holy Spirit, as you seek to obey his word, he will give you the power to say no to sin. He will give you the strength to obey when no one around you is obeying. And you will find the source of true joy only in Jesus Christ. And if you would be numbered amongst those who say, I'm a saint. Of course, I don't hear very many people saying that, but if you're a believer, you're a saint. If if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you would say, I'm numbered among the believers in Jesus Christ. I encourage you, Don't ever lose sight of the humility of Christ. Don't ever lose sight of the humility that Jesus Christ demonstrated, God in human flesh, giving himself as a servant to serve sinners, to save their lives from eternal separation and suffering and judgment that God is just to bring on those who refuse to obey him. Keep Keep yourself focused. Do not lose sight of the humility of Christ. Keep growing in humility by submitting yourself again and again to the truths of Scripture. Humbling yourself before God in prayer, asking for His will to be done. Asking for His help that you would be satisfied with His answers and satisfied with His will. And then seek to obey God's word and seek to serve the needs of others. Humble yourself before God. Keep trusting in him. Keep looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as the godly example of humility that he is. Seek to obey God's word. Humble yourself before him in prayer. Seek to serve the needs of others. And do not forget that you can know true joy because you are God's child. Seek your ultimate joy in knowing Christ and following God's word.